0: At Emmanuel, we value truth and worship in our devotion to the command to grow inwardly. We also value community and missions in our dedication to the commission to reach outwardly. Well, we have had a great day thus far and we have a lot more in store for us. So I'm excited that you guys are here. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8, we're going to step away from our study of Ezra for a couple of weeks. It'll make more sense as we get towards the end of our service today. But I want to take us to Acts chapter 8. We're going to talk about answering God's call and we're going to look at a familiar passage of scripture. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I think there's a lot of a curiosities contained within this account. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8 and start reading in verse 26. It says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth in his humiliation justice was denied him who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth and the eunuch said to Philip about whom i asked does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else then philip opened his mouth But Philip found himself at Azotus, Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. For the next few minutes, I just want us to look at the two main characters that are played out in here. And I want you to see what I see in this passage, and the first thing that I see is curiosity. Do you like that? Like I got tied on. you got to let. yeah, move on. Curiosity. I think this is a very curious passage of Scripture. There's curious questions that plague my mind as I read it. These figures are curious, and there's, this whole encounter, in my opinion, is very curious. For instance, who is this foreigner, and why is he here? Look back at verse 27. I think it's fascinating that Luke goes into such detail to describe this, this foreign traveler. He calls him an Ethiopian. He refers to him as a eunuch. He is a court official. He is the man in charge of the queen's treasury, Candace's treasury. And you would ask the question, why why all this detailed description? Why, why, Luke, are you painting such a vivid picture of this foreign traveler? What's the big deal about it? Well, the big deal is that, that really in reality... These two strangers probably should never cross paths. These two strangers probably should have never had this encounter. But God wants us to know the differences between these two to recognize that the gospel overcomes any difference. So Philip's a traveling pastor and evangelist. This foreigner's a high-ranking official in the court of Candace. Because of that, there probably would be no interaction outside of God's work in their lives. Philip probably is not a man of prominence, but this man is a man of distinction. He is a man of importance. He's an important figure, at least in his country. Again, no reason for the two to interact. Philip probably was not a man of means, but as you read this, you recognize that this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, was most likely a man of considerable wealth, or at least he was surrounded by considerable wealth. There is one thing that they have in common. It's found in verse 27. They were both there to worship. They were both worshipers of Yahweh. But here's what's interesting about that. This Ethiopian eunuch had yet to meet Christ. Philip knew Jesus. And Philip's desire was for this Ethiopian eunuch to meet Jesus as well. I think it's interesting in these verses that we read five times in this passage Luke refers to this foreigner as a eunuch or the eunuch. We have no personal name of this traveler. Matter of fact, his reference to him is is the eunuch or a eunuch. That's incredibly important to our understanding of this passage of Scripture. So without being graphic and, and, and based on this man's physical characteristics and according to the restrictions... Of Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. This traveler, remember his purpose for coming to Jerusalem was to worship God, was to worship Yahweh. But undoubtedly he knew the restrictions on him because of his physical deformity. So, because of that, he would not be allowed to worship in the temple. But he came anyway. I find that fascinating that he had such a love for the Lord that he would travel some distance just for the purpose of worshiping Yahweh, knowing that his worship of Yahweh would be restricted, but yet he came anyway. So as I read Scripture, I ask questions of the Scripture. And one of the, th- one of the questions that I ask of this when I read this is, is Luke, why? Why all of these curious details Why would you put all of these details in there? And I think it's because his audience 2,000 years ago, not unsimilar to you all, to my audience today. I think what we tend to do is we tend to look at people, and because of our bias and our prejudice, we have a tendency to say who the gospel is for. And I think what Philip wanted the audience to know was, yes, here's this dark-skinned traveler from Ethiopia that is a eunuch, that is an outsider, but he's not outside the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you read through the New Testament, a matter of fact, as you continue reading through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10 and 11, there's a lot of debate back and forth between the apostles and the leaders in the church as to who the gospel is for. It's for the Jews, yes, but is it for those that are outside of Judaism? And what Philip wants you to know is no matter what they look like and no matter what deformity they have, no matter how they speak, There is no one that's outside the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but we have a tendency when we encounter people in our lives, we have a tendency, we look at the outside appearance. Or we judge them based on their words or their actions. And inside our hearts, those of us that are followers of Christ, a lot of times because of that bias and that prejudice, we look at them and immediately think they're outside the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reality of it is for those that were, that were reading of this encounter, for us who are living 2,000 years later, that there is no one, regardless of their status or their race or their physical attributes, regardless of what they've done or haven't done, there is no one that is outside the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's why Luke went into such detail as he described this Ethiopian eunuch that there's nobody outside the reach. We are commanded by God to carry the gospel into our world. That's a curious thing in and of itself that God would call us to do that, but we have been commanded, children of God, to do that. And it's not my right to look at you or to look at somebody else and say, you're beyond the reach of the gospel of Christ. You know who some of the toughest people are to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's you all. It's those of us that have grown up in the church. Because we've embraced religion, some of us, but we haven't embraced Christ. And some of the hardest people to reach aren't the ones that are tattooed up and have piercings and things poking out and speak language that we wouldn't dare speak in the church. It's not them. It's, those, it's, it's us. Jesus said we're like whitewashed tombs. We look good on the outside, but on the inside, we are we're, we're full of dead man's bones. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrating the callousness of man's heart regardless of what man looks like on the outside or regardless of what man speaks and the things that he say. God's heart is for all mankind and it is wrong for me to pick and choose who the gospel is for. There's another curious feature in this account and it's Philip's presence, just the very fact that he was there. Why was Philip even present? If you read up a little bit in this chapter, you'll see that Philip has just come off of this incredible evangelistic response to the gospel by the Samaritans. If you know anything about the Jews and the Samaritans, you know that that would have been a shock in and of itself, that the gospel is presented to the Samaritans and they respond appropriately and they worship Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. So he's coming off of this this mass conversion of these people to Christ and here's this prominent evangelist that's speaking to the masses and God is doing a mighty work and in the midst of that mighty work the the, the Bible says that the Lord the angel of the Lord speaks to him and sees, says leave this and go there that's fascinating to me because of the world that I live in I live in the realm of ministry, I live in the world of ministry, so I'm around a lot of evangelists, I'm around a lot of pastors, and I'm around a lot of braggadocious, a lot of proud, well not here, but I've been, I've been around a lot of proud ministers, and I've known, honestly, I've known some ministers in my life that preach to the masses, and the masses respond and people come to Christ, but if the Spirit of God were to say to them, leave the masses and go to the one, they would say no. I'm not going to leave the masses because I'm more effective when I preach to the masses. So I'm not going to do that. God, that's an insult to my talents and my abilities. I'm not going to do that. And that was not the case for Philip. Here's this guy that probably shouldn't have been there. Depending on how you translate the passage where it tells him to go south, some, some commentators, some scholars say that, that that is saying go at noon. And you caught that it said it was a desert road. So think about this. Philip is being led by the Spirit of God to leave the masses, to go to a singular guy who's traveling a road at noon in the heat of the day. He shouldn't be there, and Philip shouldn't be there. But that's the curious nature of our God. And that's a real show of obedience of Philip. He didn't care so much about what his fellow apostles thought. He cared what God thought. So in summary, just listen. We have this curious foreigner who has traveled to Jerusalem to worship full well, knowing that he will not be allowed in the temple. And as he is traveling home, he just happens to be reading from a scroll containing the words of Isaiah. Even that in and of itself is amazing. You didn't go to the local Christian bookstore and buy a scroll of Isaiah To have a scroll of Isaiah that was his, or at least belonged to Candace the Queen, that's amazing. And the simple fact that he's going along this deserted desert hot road in the middle of the day, reading from Isaiah, not just Isaiah, but Isaiah chapter 53, and he's reading out loud about the coming suffering servant. That is fascinating. That is amazing to me. And you look at that and the curiosity of it, and and some would say, well, that was just coincidence. That was not coincidence. There was nothing coincidental about this encounter. This meeting was coordinated via the heart and hand of God. That's the curious nature of our God, brothers and sisters. That's the curious nature of God. He cared so much for one man that he would turn heaven and earth to orchestrate the meeting of two strangers. That is amazing. You know what's even more amazing? He's still in the business of doing that. Some of you are here only because God orchestrated it for you to be here. Because he wanted you to hear the truth of the gospel, that God loves you. And that God would not only send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you, but he would orchestrate things in your life such that you would encounter the gospel over and over and over again. So not only is there much curiosity associated with with this this encounter, there's also considerable confusion. I would argue that Philip was probably a little bit confused, as I said a while ago. He's had successful ministry over here, and God is calling him to leave that successful ministry to go somewhere. Look back at verse 26. In verse 26, the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go. And I don't see anywhere in here where Philip questions him or where the angel of the Lord tells him why. I could imagine being over here in this successful ministry and God says go and to be like, I, why? Things are going so well over here. People are being saved. But Philip doesn't do that. The angel of the Lord says go and Philip goes. Look at verse 29. The Lord says to Philip, go over and join this stranger's chariot. That is amazing to me as well. In the heat of the day, during this time, two strangers. How awkward would that have been if you were the Ethiopian eunuch and this guy comes out of nowhere on an abandoned road and he's running beside your chariot asking you what you're reading and if you understand what you're reading. But that's the work of God in his life. No doubt the Ethiopian was confused. In verses 30 and 31, we see that he was reading, but he was not understanding. He knew that he needed someone to clarify the message, but who was available? As far as he knew, there was nobody available, but God was working in the background. God was bringing a man along that could answer his question. You know, we live in a world that lives in a state of confusion regarding things of Christ. We have a very spiritual world that we live in. We have a world that's very curious about spirituality, but we have a very unchristian world. And really, it it should not come as a surprise to us as to why. Here's why, because the world has half-truths and complete lies, and the world never shuts up. They always spew those half-truths and those lies out in regards to spirituality. Spirituality. So our world's out there confused about all of that. We are in our churches and we have the truth and we know the truth and we've experienced the truth. But yet so often, instead of opening our mouths as Philip did, we remain silent. And as we remain silent, those in our world that are really looking, those those Ethiopians that are on their chariot, they're trying to figure it out, are waiting for us to tell them the truth but we keep our mouth shut. So my question for you is, who is God calling you to reach with the truth? So if you come in through the main doors you walk by, our ping pong wall display. I have no idea how many ping pong balls are in there, but I do know this. Last Monday, I added 80 additional white ping pong balls. I added 52 yellow ping pong balls, and I added one blue ping pong ball. The 80 white, represent 80 invitations to church the 52 yellow represent 52 individual gospel encounters and the one blue that represents one that was baptized tomorrow I'm going to add nine blue balls to the ping pong ball wall because we had nine young people baptized this morning here's what's amazing to me about that All of those ping-pong balls that are in that wall, those represent souls of men and women and boys and girls, but not just that. They represent the obedience of God's children. So thank you for opening your mouth. Thank you for sharing the truth. So to recap, we have the curiosity of two unknown, unlikely parties. We have the confusion on behalf of both men. We have God orchestrating a confrontation between two strangers and we have a a confrontation that culminates in a life-changing conversation this is my favorite verse in the entire passage it's verse 35 says then philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures he told him the good news about jesus The curiosity, the confusion, the commands of God, the obedience of Philip, the encounter between the two, the invitation from the Ethiopian, all of that, all of those are necessary steps leading to a gospel conversation. So what made Philip the right man for this encounter? Here's what made Philip the right man. He was present. He was there. He was obedient. And he was simply willing to open his mouth. I think sometimes we look at these these men and women of the Bible, these spiritual giants, and we think, there's no way I could ever do what they're doing or what they've done. Listen, friends, God has called you to be a witness. And you're not dissimilar to those that are in our Bible. Are you present? Are you obedient? Can you open your mouth and share the truth? Bill Fay, who's the author of Share Jesus Without Fear, which is a witnessing training tool, he says this. He says there's only one way that we fail in our witness. You know how that is? By keeping our mouths shut. That's the only way we fail. I love what he says. He says even a bumbled gospel presentation is better than no gospel at all. Even if you fumble it, even if you mess it up, if you're sharing the truth, God can take that truth and penetrate the hearts of people. You know what the key to evangelism is? It's trust. It's trusting God to guide your steps. It's trusting God to guide your heart. It's trusting God to guide your words. It's trusting God to do His work in the heart of the individual with whom you are sharing. It's trusting God. And friends, God is not gonna call us to do something that he's not going to equip us to accomplish. The question is, do we trust God? So are you getting a sense of the the progression that's taking place? What started as curiosity and confusion led to a God-ordained conversation. And this gospel conversation we will now see will find its climax in one man's conviction, call, and conversion. Verse 36 says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Look back at verse 37. Look at 37 in your Bible. It's not in there, is it? You don't have a verse 37 in your Bible in the text, you have it at the bottom of your Bible. It's not in there because it wasn't in the original manuscripts. They're the most reliable manuscripts. It wasn't in there, so modern translations don't have it in there, but it was put in there sometime later by some scribes. It's a scribal addition to the text because the scribe wanted us to know that it wasn't just a little conversation and then, boom, he's baptized. It was a conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ that led to this man's conviction of his sin and a call by the Spirit of God in his life to respond to the gospel. And this eunuch responded to the gospel message, and he was converted, and after his conversion, he wanted to be baptized. He wanted to follow the Lord in baptism, just like we've seen displayed today throughout all three of our services. So you have curiosity, and you have confusion, you have confrontation and conversation and conversion. So what's next? Well, naturally, it's celebration. Verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch celebrated. He had not come to Jerusalem to meet Jesus. But God had a different plan. And when God gets a hold of your heart, and you have a life-changing encounter with the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he becomes your Savior, it changes your life, and you can't help but celebrate that truth. Undoubtedly, Philip celebrated with him, and according to Luke 15.10, even the angels in heaven celebrated. It says, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's always a time of celebration when someone comes to Christ. So what did Philip do after this incredible life-changing encounter? Look at verse 40. It said, but Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So what did Philip do? He'd done what he'd always done. He continued his commitment to Christ's call. Friends, I don't know where you're at. I do know this. I I talked about two characters in this passage, but I really didn't talk about the main character. The main character in this passage is the Holy Spirit. You can have Philip, you can have the eunuch, but if you have no Holy Spirit, there is no conversion. The Holy Spirit is the main player. The Spirit of God is the one that coordinated this curious encounter. The Spirit of God is the one who clarified the confusion. The Spirit of God is the one who cultivated the conversation. The Spirit of God is the one that carried out or completed this man's salvation. So, the title of our message today is Answering God's Call. I don't know what God is calling you to. For some of you, He may be calling you to salvation. For all of us, He's calling us to obedience. My prayer is that you will answer God's call. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this account. Father, it is curious, and there is confusion, and there's, there's conversation, there's confrontation, but ultimately it's calm, it culminates in one man's conversion. And Father, we celebrate that even 2,000 years later, that here's a guy that came to town just to worship God, and in the midst of that, he met the Messiah. And he met his Savior. And his life was changed. And Father, I can't help but think that this foreigner took the gospel back home with him. And just like Philip, he couldn't help but preach the truth to those that he encountered. So Father, for those that are lost here today, I pray that they would respond in obedience to your call to salvation. For those of us that know you, I pray that we would respond in obedience to your call to share the gospel. We know that you are orchestrating things, Father, and we know that you give us divine appointments. I just pray that we'll be obedient to those because the souls of mankind are dependent upon us opening our mouth and sharing the truth with them. They're confused, and they don't know where to turn. And you have tasked us with the gospel and the good news and that message. I pray that we will be obedient. We love you, Fathers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm gonna-